Good morning, and welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 WDWS. For over 60 years, East Central Illinois' daily gathering spot for conversation, dialogue, and ideas. You can join in on the phone, online, or via a text. Our phone number is 217-356-9397. Email talk at WDWS.com or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Now, here's Brian Barnhart. All right, 905. That means it's time for Penny for Your Thoughts. Here on a Wednesday as we near the middle of August, August the 15th. Glad you're with us wherever you might be listening today. And as you heard the phone numbers, you can join us a variety of ways on the phone. You can email us or text us today. Lots of uh, stories to touch on. We'll do that in the second hour today. We'll have an open line in hour number two and touch on the big issues of the day. A grand jury out in Pennsylvania finding child abuse, a 1,000 victims by 300 priests over a period of 70 years in Pennsylvania. 20 people dead after a bridge collapses in Italy. Some primary results, Omarosa Newman in Washington, D.C., Governor's Day over in Springfield. Erica Harold will be over there as well. Uh, talk uh, yesterday a little bit about McKinley for uh, Champaign Central football. Champaign City Council discussing that last night. We'll have some sports news, a change on the Illini football staff, practice resuming today, and um, we'll talk about maybe subways in Los Angeles. They have some new things out there. And also uh, talk maybe, if we get a chance, uh, i got to chuckle out of an article from a long time ago, uh, 1959, push-button dial telephones, an article that was pretty interesting to read. I got a chuckle out of it about uh, t- some of the talk about what that might look like <laughs> in nine, if we get a chance to get to it today. If not, I'll save it for another day. But we'll have to do all that in the second hour. But uh, school is upon us. I saw a school bus earlier this morning, and, of course, the year-round schools have been in session for a little while at a couple of different locations. But uh, the school year in earnest about to begin and I thought, hey, let's have a couple of teachers come in, one from Champaign, one from Urbana. We'll tell you who they are after the break and uh, talk with them about being a teacher, what it's like, their challenges, what they get uh, excited about the most. What is the best class size for teachers? Uh, do they get their own supplies? How does it work? We're just going to talk uh, about teaching and uh, their experience over the years, if it's changed with technology and everything else. We'll do that here during this first hour and then have open line time in hour number two. So let's go to school, ring the school bell, bring in a couple of teachers and talk about it next on Penny for Your Thoughts at 907. All right, welcome back. Penny for Your Thoughts as we get it started this morning here on DWS. Now we do something a little different today just because school is upon us. We've got a couple of teachers with us, and I think these are folks you probably know from around town. They've been here a little while. Marion White is with us. Good morning. Good morning. Is your mic on? Here we go. There it is. Good morning. How are you? I am wonderful. Good. You were able to get away today. I wasn't sure. I was. I'd like to thank our new principal, Chuck Neitzel, for giving me time to come and do this. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you being here. And Janet Leroy is here from over in Urbana. Good morning. And uh, for people that don't know, you teach at? Leal School. And how many years have you been there? Since 1986. Mm-hmm. So someone else has to do the math. <laughs> and what grade do you teach? I was promoted to fourth grade this coming year, but I've been a third grade teacher, a 3-4 teacher, 
I've taught kindergarten. I've taught reading improvement. I've taught everything except first grade. Mm-hmm. Everything, all those years at Leal? Or were you somewhere else? I've been else? at Leal since 1986. I also spent three years in North Carolina, one year at a private school, and then fourth grade in a public school. Okay. And uh, Marion, you've been at Centennial? I've been at Centennial since 91, but okay. I started back in 85, and I taught in Carlinville, Illinois, Pawnee, and then came up here and taught at Franklin and Southside. Before that, I managed a daycare center, so I've had pre-K through 12, wow. and this is year 34 and retiring in May of 2019. So this is your last go-around. Yes. Yeah. So what are you, what's going through your mind right now as you start the last year? Are you too busy to even think about that? No. I want to make every day very important, like it's mm-hmm. my last. Mm-hmm. And uh, for people that I think most people know, Marion, you teach at Centennial. Uh, what you've been teaching the, mu- the with the music, right? Right. I do mm-hmm. choir. Uh, I have four choirs a day and a music survey. Mm-hmm. Have class. you taught anything else over the years besides that, or how long you've been doing the music? Well, I've I've done music the entire time, but I did go back to school and get my elementary education certification. In my first year of teaching, I taught special ed self-contained in the morning, ages eight to twelve. And then middle school and high school choir in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So you excited about the new school year? I mean, or do, do teachers get excited because students? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, students are like, well, I guess I got to go back. But you want do, me well, to be honest? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's a twofold thing. Mm-hmm. One, it's like throwing a party for a bunch of people you don't know, and so it's exciting to get ready for that first day. And I love when the students come in, but there's also something that like feeds your soul and that is when you're six weeks eight weeks 12 weeks into a semester when you're seeing the light bulbs go off you're seeing the kids interact and helping each other and you see that growth and that feels so much better and is much more fulfilling Mm -hmm. than watching the kids walk in the first day Mm -hmm. so it's the excitement of a party and the excitement of the long haul you feel the same way janet Well, I'm very excited for this year because um, I will be looping up with the students I had from last year. I had thought that last year might have been my last year. I've job shared for 27 years. Urbana School decided to put a limit on that. So at the end of last year, I had to either retire, go somewhere else, or go full time. Um, And the man who would have received my students will be the new assistant principal in Muhammad, Ryan Martin, and he was fabulous. And I looked at my kids. I really, really liked the class I had last year. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll just come up with them and hang out with them as fourth graders. So I think for this year, I'm really looking forward to being with them again. And I'm looking forward to them teaching me because I haven't taught math in 27 years. Mm-hmm. And there's a new program in um, Urbana, Eureka Math. So I think they'll be helping me a lot this year. Mm-hmm. Is there a subject over the years you've enjoyed teaching more than others? I love reading. So as a job share partner, I've done all the language arts, reading, writing, spelling, listening, talking, cursive. And my partner would do math and either science or social studies. And like Marianne said, when those light bulbs go off, taking someone who's a reluctant reader and finding what they're interested in. Um, my class has been had a pirate theme for the past I don't know how many years, and getting the kids excited about pirates and learning some of the language and being able to call each other a scurvy dog during recess. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, maybe it's a graphic novel, but having a kid start where they didn't even want to pick up a book to 
them coming to me at recess and ask if they can take a book out at recess just makes mm. my day. Three five six nine three nine seven. Visiting here with Marion Wyatt from Champaign Centennial High School, and uh, we've got Janet Leroy, who's at Leal Elementary in Urbana. If you're a teacher, been a teacher, maybe a student of theirs or whatever, if you want to call in, you certainly can. If you uh, have been a teacher before and you just want to relate some stories related to teaching, you can certainly do that. We have two here that have been at it and seen a lot of things over the years. Nine fifteen. On Penny for your thoughts. Again, the number is three five six nine three nine seven. The text line number is three five one five three five seven. That's presented by Castle Heating and Cooling. And of course, you can email us at talk at wdws dot com. So, as you've gotten ready for this year, when did you start getting ready for this year? I started getting ready at the last day of last year, and I take the first two weeks, uh, three weeks of June, and get everything ready. Um, for my class, and then I leave for eight weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I get home on Sunday afternoon and show up for work on Monday. Yeah. So when you say you get things done, what do you do in those first couple weeks? Um, um, I choose I choose music. Mm-hmm. Um, I make sure that I've got the programs and lessons ready, especially now that we're moving to one-to-one. So this year we're giving every student a computer, so I wanted to make sure that I had lessons that they could do on the computers every day. Mm-hmm. And that's Chromebooks? Is yes. that what that, what that we have is? Chromebooks it, for all middle school and high school yeah. in Unit 4 this okay. year. Okay. We'll talk about that in a moment, but uh, what do you do to get ready, Janet? Oh, You've been traveling some lately, too. Yeah, but. I have. So after the students head out the door for the last time, um, it takes me a couple of days to pack everything up. I try to pack neatly, but toward the end, everything gets thrown in boxes. So as soon as the floors have been waxed at Leo, the teachers start coming back. And the things you had out at the end of the year are not what you need at the beginning of the year. Hmm. So going through those boxes and and more neatly putting that stuff away, going down to the basement, bring up the stuff. So we've had teachers at Leal. We're very fortunate to be able to keep our keys so we have access to the building anytime. Um, we've been teachers have had their classroom set up middle of June and we have had some moving around in our district, which that's really hard. When you're all set up and you're told you're going to have a different mm-hmm. grade level or a different, um, go mm-hmm. to a different, to even go to a different building. But I've been in my building solid on and off since the middle of June. Hmm. So um, let me ask you about uh, teaching over the years. Have students changed a lot? I mean, society's changed, but is that reflected in classrooms, what you see? I'm not sure I would say students have changed, but they come to, at least to me, with different backgrounds. Um, it used to be back in 1986, students, the bell would ring, they'd get on their bikes, they'd go home, they'd go to a park, they'd go to a friend's house, play outside till it was dark. And technology has played a part now in the kinds of things they do at home. More students are in their house on devices instead of outside playing. And I know because I ask them. So I'm trying to get students out more and bring people in more to broaden their horizons so they don't learn everything off of a, a computer. So I've been really fortunate to have um, people such as Julia Reitz come in and talk to my class about why is reading and math important in your job. Elizabeth Hess is coming in this year, and I want her to talk about why is reading and math important in your job. Because we have students who they're doing this reading and math 
in school and they go home and they think, well, when am I ever going to use this? In fact, just yesterday I was talking to my dad and he said, why did I have to take algebra? I've never used algebra. I said, dad, you use algebra all the time. You, you know, you think about solving for X. I never solve for X. Sure you do. You know, I need to do this many things in this much time and you are solving for X. <laughs> so really a lot of people, um, come into my room and talk about that. So, Brian, I offer to you. Mm-hmm. Come on into my room. Oh, sure. Tell my students, why is math and reading important <laughs> in your job? Yeah, well, I use math a lot just with all the numbers and yardage and down and distance and oh, everything else during the course of a ball game. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because when I taught in North Carolina, right there between Duke and Carolina, and all the kids thought they'd grow up and they'd play sports for Duke and Carolina, and I will never need math. I will never need to read. And so throwing in those sports um, analogies mm-hmm. with math, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Janet Leroy is with us. She's at Leal Elementary in Urbana. Marion Wyatt from Champaign Centennial. Same question to you about students changing over time or society changing. Does it get reflected in what you see every day? Well, I think that society has changed and the expectations of the students have changed. And so the students are coming in now where you have to, at the middle school and high school, demonstrate respect and earn their respect. When I started teaching, it was, you're a teacher, so you will be respected because you're older. And I think that is a big shift that has changed in our society. And we're looking at those things more. Yeah, not necessarily for the better, though, right? I mean, if you have to, if you have to earn it, is that a problem for you or not? I mean... I don't think it's a problem. It's mm-hmm. just a different mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our goals now are not, my goal is not to make sure that my choir sounds the best. I'd like it to sound good, but I would like to help my students become successful and helpful. And it's more important to be a difference maker mm-hmm. than a straight A student. We meet the students where they are. And that wasn't the way that I was taught when I went to college. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a big shift in what to to help in ways to help students three five six nine three nine seven i believe we have a uh, caller here you got a question for our guest don yeah how you doing uh i was curious if you guys support cameras in classrooms now hear me out uh we're celebrating well i guess not celebrating but every hour on the news is a story about the kids going back to school where there was a school so we can just relive it but don't you think it would cut down on like bullying like 99%, if not 100%? And would it, like school shootings, wouldn't it help? Well, you know, where the guy's at and stuff like that? I mean, for safety reasons. All right, I mean, well, now, I'm, not talking in, I'm not talking in the gym class or nothing, you know, but for safety reasons. So the teachers and the children, we've got to protect the children. I think it's a perfect way to do it. I really do. I'm not being facetious by any means. I think cameras in the classroom, with all the violence in schools nowadays, is an excellent idea, and I think it's a must, in my opinion. I'll listen. Thank okay. you, guys. Thank you, Don. Appreciate it. Uh, we had somebody call about that, and I also had a texture about that. At um, the high school, yeah. uh, we have a resource officer. And as a matter of fact, this year, because our resource officer is retiring, rather than sending someone straight in new, mm-hmm. I believe his name is Steve Vogel, he's going to be working with Ed Wahala, for the semester until Ed Wahala leaves. And while they both carry, I think it's very important to notice and, th- and be thankful that the Unit 4 schools and the Champaign Police Department are working together, and mm-hmm. they're not just sending someone in new 
that doesn't know the students and doesn't know how the school works. And so I feel very fortunate to have someone who's there not only to protect our students, but protect our, our staff. And it's important that we recognize that you know, these things are happening. And when we all have our eyes open to mm-hmm. it and are more cautious about make sure that doors are closed and people can't get in that aren't supposed to be in, mm-hmm. you know, one main entrance open to the building, all those things assist with protecting our students. Mm-hmm. You think about that when you hear, when you hear a school shooting nationwide I mean what goes through your mind when you're when you hear that do you think well I don't know what I would do or do you just try to do your job every day or or not try to think about it and just Janet wonder what you thought well first of all it's horrifying to hear about that especially Sandy Hook where it was very young children um Leal school like all schools in Champaign-Urbana are locked there's the front door you have to buzz to be in Mm -hmm. but the woman who buzzes the door to let you in doesn't say open your coat let me see if you have anything so it would be very easy for someone to come into our school with um, with a gun and um, I I will quit if I'm ever told I have to carry a gun in a school mm-hmm. I teach eight nine ten year olds I've, I've thought well what am I supposed to do am I supposed to carry it do I carry it loaded do I carry it unloaded are my things you know I keep the bullets separate um, I have children who will get into my closed cabinet and take things from me. What do I do if a kid takes my gun from me um, and uses it? It's mm-hmm. just looking at it, playing it. There's an accident. So mm-hmm. I am going to continue to hope and pray that um, Leo School never faces that. Having been through active shooter drills, as we do every year, and watch the children's face and see how frightened they are even though they know it's a drill. The first time we had one, uh, my door was locked. One of my students was not in my room. He had gone to the bathroom. I was panicking. I knew it was a drill, but I was panicking. Where is he? Did, did he know to go somewhere safe? And then someone's rattling my door. I didn't know if it was the pretend bad guy or the police or whatever, but it, it was very frightening just to know it was a drill. My father, who was a Marine and a sharpshooter, told me, if you carry a gun, you need to be prepared to kill somebody. You need to be Mm. prepared to use it and kill someone. I am not. So Mm. there will never be a gun on my person in a classroom. Yeah. Three, five, six, nine, three, nine, seven. Back to the phones here for our guests. Marion Wyatt from Champaign. We've got uh, Janet Leroy from Urbana. Hi, Charles. How you doing this morning? Good. Good. I have a question for the two teachers there. Mm -hmm. Uh, two quick questions real quick. The first one is uh, we know about it takes a village to raise or educate a child. So that's what a lot of schools say. Um, but with the disparity gap um, in learning and with discipline, uh, can both of them give me, let's just we make this up hypothetically, at 100%, a concrete percentage, uh, how much is at 100% is the responsibility of the teacher versus the parent or the community? I've been hearing the stuff about it take 50, 50, 50, 50, but I really want to know because I heard, I also heard opposite where it's not really if the student is with the teachers all day, it's more of a responsibility, including with the behavioral part. That's number one. And number two, real short, the role of teachers, if you can remember that, the role of teachers uh, with the union, does that influence how they teach or look at things with this whole mess of disparities, 
the role of unions in the individual teachers versus the administrators. What role do the unions play? So the first one is to take a field to raise the kids, to educate them and learn in, in regards to discipline too, and give me a percentage of that. You want to say 50 50, that's fine. Okay. And I will hang the phone, but listen. All right. All right. Thank you, Charles. Thank you much. Appreciate thank you. that. Well, thank you, Charles. Mm-hmm. If you send your child to school, having raised them and taught them to listen and be respectful, our job is going to be so much easier. Um, If you've never met me and you don't know me, I have a look that will straighten you up. (laughs) Um, I deal with discipline in my classroom. I rarely have to call the principal. Um, I'm not going to say never. We have children who have issues that are beyond my scope. But um, children who come to school who have been raised in a family to, to respect much, much easier. And as far as the union, I'm not really sure what that has mm. to do with anything. I mean, the union supports us in our working conditions, but the union doesn't tell us how to discipline children. Mm-hmm. And what might work on Brian might not work on little Susie. Mm-hmm. So getting to know those children, and that's where I feel very fortunate to have this class this second year. Uh, I've known these children for a year they they don't really need to be disciplined. My first my first principal at Lille, Dick Bodine, who was just fabulous, put something in my head that I take with me today. If if your students do not behave when you're not in the room, they are trained. If they behave when you're not in the room, they are disciplined. So there are teachers who have trained their children to act a certain way. A substitute comes in or they have to go in the hallway, the class goes crazy. If you teach them to become disciplined, then they will do the right thing, whether you're there or not. Mm-hmm. Marion, any thoughts on the parental involvement? Uh, yes. And, and first, Charles, I want to thank you for calling and asking this question because it is what, what I like to call an uncomfortable, difficult question um, that people often don't want to talk about. But I think the longer that you're in the teaching field, the more comfortable you become having those difficult conversations. And I'll speak for myself as a centennial teacher. One of the main focuses of our current principal this year out of his five goals was to decrease the discipline gap. Because if you look at the percentages of how many people are being disciplined and who is being disciplined, Mm -hmm. most of them, I can't give you the exact percentage, are are African-American, which is extremely unfortunate, and we need to look at why is that happening. Mm -hmm. And we as teachers need to look at any microaggressions that we happen to have. Just because someone is wearing their pants differently or wearing a hat doesn't mean that they should be treated any differently than anyone else. You find that at Centennial, we've stopped having a hat policy so students can wear hats. And we, the more we know about each other, the better we can interact. And I have had parents on both sides of the fence. Uh, when I have a problem in my classroom, I always call the parents. But when I call and make one negative call, then I make two positive calls. And when I make those positive calls, the parents are usually saying, what did my kid do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to get the parents as involved as possible. That works for many. I can't tell you the percentage, but that works for many. However, I've also called parents at the high school level who have said to me, why are you calling me? When my child is with you, you're in charge of them. And I said, well, 
um, if that if I was in charge of them and they were mine, I would handle them differently than what I'm allowed to handle them because I grew up in a different time period. Mm -hmm. And the students will say things to us. If that, if I had a dollar for every time that someone has cussed me out over my career, especially in the last 10 to 15 years, we could all go out for dinner tonight. Mm -hmm. So when I deal with those kind of parents, then I go to other resources that I have, whether it's the social workers or the administrators or co-teachers. I try to find somebody that gets along well with that student. And I've also, very often, I'll go to those students' friends and say, hey, this kid is not working for me. What can I do differently? Hmm. You know, can we get together? Can we have a mediation? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we've got I hope that answered your question, yeah. Charles. All right. Well, thank you, Charles. Appreciate the call. 932. Need to get to the news with Michael Kaiser. We've got uh, Janet Leroy from Urbana's Leal Elementary, Marion Wyatt from Champaign Centennial. We're talking teachers today, some of the issues that teachers face. And uh, sometimes uh, what society is dealing with at large obviously spills into the classroom, and they have to deal with a lot of different things uh, with uh, your young people. So we'll continue with more after the news here with Michael. Hi, this is Jim Bohannon. Join us for the next Bohannon Show with the top stories of the day, some fun stuff from sports or entertainment, you name it, right here. Tonight at 9 on DWS. Back on Penny for your thoughts. News Talk 1400 DWS on this overcast Wednesday, getting ready for school. And our lines are full. We have two teachers I've known for a long time, Marion White at Champaign Centennial at the high school there, teaching music and choir and all of that. And then we've got Leal Elementary uh, teacher, Janet Leroy. And you said you're going to fifth grade? Fourth. Don't, yeah. don't Fourth grade, sorry. Pull that mic smell. closer to you. <laughs> there. What would you say? Fifth, <laughs> fifth graders smell. Oh, so they I'll do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I've known these two uh, women for a long time. Uh, they're big Illini fans. Oh, yeah. seen a lot of different events, and I've known they've been teachers. And uh, and just wanted to kind of get their perspective as school was starting. Let's see, Centennial starts this week? Yes. Freshmen start on Thursday, full boat of freshmen through senior on Friday. Okay, and Leal? We have our institute days Thursday and Friday, so we will see our children on Monday. Okay, we have a full bank of phones here. Let's see here. Jimmy is on with us. Hi, Jimmy. Good morning. Hey, how are you, sir? Good. I just wanted to make a comment. Um, I come from a family of uh, school teachers and administrators. And my mother taught at Leal School and Carrie Busey. And I went to grade school at Southside School. And one day, guess who I got for a substitute teacher? Uh-oh, it's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you behaved. Well, when I was in sixth grade, the principal got me out of class, and they were worried about me, and they had my mom and dad come in because I'd been the class clown for five years, and all of a sudden I'd settled down and behaved myself. I just wanted to make sure there was nothing wrong with me. <laughs> so how did, your mom, how, did, how did your mom do that day? I don't know, Mom and Dad were like, you know, I was worried sick. I was like, I haven't done anything. So they just, you know, made yeah. sure there was nothing wrong with me because I had to settle down and behave myself. All right. Hey, Jimmy, thanks for the call, okay? Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's go to Bob, who has a question for our guest. Hi, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, my question is, what is the priority of teachers and administrators to try to improve reason i'm saying this i've 
over the years I've had experience. I spent 18 years and four months from 65 to 83 in Urbana as a custodian, 17 years and six months in Toronto as a custodian, and 18 years on a school bus. And you know yourself that these kids are getting more and more out of hand. What can we do to help improve this? Well, I think parent parent involvement is really important, and and it's a it's a collaborative effort with everybody. Um, you know, I was saying when we were off air, it would be nice to have a middle school teacher here too, because children do change between third grade and when Marianne sees them in in high school. You know, they're becoming young adults; they're starting to feel their oats. Um, I, I've just been really fortunate myself to not have had serious issues that I've heard about as children get older. And one thing I, I have done is if a child has an issue, I have I go to the phone and I have the child call their parent. And we practice, you know. So let's say, for example, little Brian over here hits his friend. And I tell him, you're going to call your mom or dad, and you're going to tell them what you did. Because what little Brian might want to do is say, well, so-and-so took my paper and then, no, own the responsibility for what you did. And I think if we can start holding children accountable for their actions early, then maybe that would help when they get mm -hmm. older. But, you know, Marianne talks about involving the parents, and I believe some teachers will handle the discipline and not let the parents know. And then you have a pattern, and you've never talked to the parents, they're surprised. So we really have to keep them involved at all stages. Janet, I do the same thing. If I have a student that has taken something out of someone else's uh, backpack or is hitting them in the back of the head and you know, bothering a person in front of them, I don't give them a detention. Detentions are a thing of the past. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't make that an issue for our, our assistant principals because they need to be dealing with bigger fish. And so I will take out my phone and we will call home and I'll say, hi, this is Marion Wyatt. And your daughter has something that she'd like to share with you, or your son has something that to share with you. And I also um, usually call the the father uh, first, if if there's a father at home on the, hmm. which is mm -hmm. people say, why are you calling me? Yeah, I love it. I, I think it's important for the students to take responsibility, and then I'll have students write a letter of apology, and I will ask children to apologize for taking your lunch and not say I'm sorry because they're not sorry they apologize and then it's up to the other child to say I accept your apology well if you accept the apology we're done and I also teach the children um, I apologize for hitting you not to say oh that's okay why did you come and complain to me so I apologize for whatever you did and then the other child I accept your apology and sometimes it takes kids a while to accept that apology and that's okay as an adult I may not be accepting of your apology right okay. away my we do the same time. thing okay. at the high school. I, I'm going to I'm going to, have to hang up. I got the people from Comcast, but I appreciate you. <laughs> All right. Hope you get hey, everything fixed. Thank you, Bob. We appreciate it. Three five six. Yeah, don't don't keep them waiting. Uh, let's go to uh, Dave. Good morning. You're on with Marion White and Janet Leroy. Our two teachers today. Yeah, uh, as a retired teacher, I you know, I'd like to thank you for your service. You know, I, you know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for yours. Thanks. Yeah, it depends on you know the quality of our education. Uh, one lady said she used to teach in North Carolina. Is that right? 
Uh, yes, that's me, Janet. I did. I taught at um, Club Boulevard School in Durham. Was that a public or private school? It was public. Previous, I had been um, a teacher at St. Mary's in Hillsborough. It was a private school. It was not a parochial school where I taught grades 7, 8, and 9. And because we were out in the boonies, I actually ended up being sent to bus driving school and drove a bus. And that was a um, lot of fun. Did you, from your earnings as a teacher in North Carolina, did you pay into Social Security? Oh, we're going there. So the um, <laughs> private school I did, the public school, I got to tell you, that was so long ago, I can't remember. Um, but here as a public school teacher in Illinois, I do not pay into Social Social Security. I have, however, had a lot of jobs that did take Social Security, and as you know, I will get zero of that back. Well, you'll get some of it back, but it's penalized through the windfall elimination provision. Right. Um, did you ever teach summer school in Illinois? Yes, I did. Did you pay into Social Security? I can't remember. Again. Yeah, was... yeah if you... If you you had choices. If you if you work there in Champaign Urbana, they they give you choices to pay into Social Security. So there, in Champaign Urbana, you were required to pay into Social Security, or you could pay into Social Security. Then those Social Security benefits are penalized because you receive a pension from the teacher retirement system. There's a lady that used to teach in Carlinville too, right? Yes, that would be me, Marion. Now I have a uh, an email from. Um, from a um, retired member of the um, Illinois Education Association. And he says, I know what you're referring to. One of my former colleagues at Carlinville High School regularly taught summer school back in the late 60s and 70s. The school district arranged things so that he received his payments in three different installations. So he actually got credit for three separate quarters with Social Security system. So the way it, it, teach retirement system turned their back even encouraged summer mm -hmm. school or, or school districts to allow their teachers to acquire social or pay into social security hence be eligible for for medicare and a lot of people don't know how that works like mm -hmm. summer school crosses into two fiscal years you know the last uh, you know june is the last month of the fiscal year and july is the first month of the fiscal year mm -hmm. so if you work summer school you usually work june and july um but anyway okay. i'm you know thank you for uh, All right. thank you for that. very good uh, but also wait hold on a second okay uh, make it quick though okay parental involvement you know i think that you guys are on to something and um the lady that said she wouldn't shoot somebody if they were trying to get into her classroom, there's been a lot of teachers who hear somebody banging on the door and they come in and they get shot. You know, we're going to have to look at things a different way. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Uh, 356-9397. Let's take a quick break here. 948. Got some more uh, texts that have come in. I've got an interesting text here as well uh, that uh, I think these uh, ladies will like. And we'll come back with more after this. All right, back with our teachers here. Penny, for your thoughts. Marion Wyatt from Champaign Centennial, and uh, she's got to get back here after 10 o'clock to, uh, what, Institute Day? Yes. And then your Institute Day is tomorrow. Tomorrow. So over in Urbana, so school is cranking up. Uh, somebody mentioned uh, a couple of different texts relating to the, uh, uh, says, uh, I'd like the teachers to tell us why there is a disproportionate, I don't know the numbers, but percentage of African-American students in the high schools in relation to the population 
uh, in Champaign-Urbana? Do they believe that relates to fears of parents of white students? There have been several white parents that have left the district over years to go to different schools. Um, Could you ask that again? Let me see here if I can make sense of this. Uh, Trav, the teachers explain why there are a disproportionate percentage of African-American students in the high schools in relation to the population of African-Americans in Champaign-Urbana. Do they believe that relates to fears of the parents of white students for the safety of their child or the lack of discipline which detracts from the learning environment or some other reason, all of which caused parents to have moved their students to schools that have uh, white enrollments? Is there any... I, I don't know what the numbers are, to be honest. But I don't know what the percentages are, but mm-hmm. I, I do know that the percentage of African Americans has gone up in, in Champaign. And I'm not sure if that has to do with um, opening up private schools like St. Thomas More. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Judah Christian has a, a high school. And then there's also been a tremendous amount of people that have moved out of Champaign into the Muhammad and surrounding areas. Uh, and I think that's just been a, a growth thing, or mm-hmm. people were unsatisfied and wanted mm-hmm. to go somewhere else. Yeah, I think a few years ago the district went through a lot of turmoil. Unit we four did, did. once and we were under the consent decree. Right, and that I think that was a real mass exodus. Mm, from I think that's where a lot of it is. Drove drove a lot of it. Um, real quick, Janet, uh, the uh, dean's issue with Urbana. Not so much your thoughts on it, but do you, will that that's a new idea, I guess, right? They're going to try? It's, it's a new idea, and I feel fortunate I'm at an elementary school, and I have no thoughts on that. I, okay. I hope um, that Urbana has come up with something that will make the middle school and the high school a better place for everybody, but it doesn't affect me. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I got a text here. Uh, it says, question, what is a helpful gift for parents to give to teachers? I assume they've had enough apples uh, catch keys and things with sayings about teachers on them. Oh, I love that. Thank you for that text. <laughs> um, well, my students know I really like chocolate, um, but there's only so much chocolate a person can receive before um, you have to buy bigger clothes. One of my most favorite gifts is a gift card to um, Target or Barnes & Noble, especially Barnes & Noble, so that I can buy books for my classroom. Okay. And for me... It's it's twofold. One, if you can give me your time or something that that you have that is easy for you to give. Um, for example, if I have somebody that has come in and said, oh, I cleaned out and I've got all these pencils or pens or my kids have graduated from high school and they bring me back their centennial gear that I can give to other students that don't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got extra backpacks around their house. Those kind of gifts are the best thing because I can I can reuse them and help people with that. I also like gift cards so that I can go out and buy things that people need. I mean, every year it's helping kids with prom and helping kids to mm-hmm. be able to get things to, so they can dress up for homecoming. Um, those are the kind of things that come out of the, your wallet. And so when you're spending two or $3,000 a year, honestly, out of your pocket yes. for school expenses or mm. to help kids, um, the, any gift cards or anything. I've had parents come back and say, hey, we're getting new computers in our office, can, and I give them out to people. Of course, this year we've got computers, mm-hmm. but it's an example. That's fabulous. And by the way, folks, if you, are, if you have an instrument collecting dust in your house, please donate it to one of the schools. There are a lot of children who'd like to take up an instrument who can't afford it. I'm glad what you said about time. I have to give a shout-out to 
Julia Loofborough-Guth, who is a returning parent who came in and helped me with her son Colin this summer. She took all my chair bags home and washed them. They had never been cleaned. Mm. Wow. So that was the best. <laughs> yes, I have, I have a lot of alums and parents that will say, I can come in and help you on such and such a day. That just makes all the difference in the world. And as long as we follow the right protocol to make sure that they check in and let them know at the office that they're coming, um, I appreciate their time. You know, it doesn't always have to be monetary, mm-hmm. but I help. I'm, I'm thankful mm. for their help. Yeah. Brian, I'd just like to say that one hour is obviously not enough. And um, this is a wonderful topic to have teachers on. It gives your listeners uh, a little bit of a view into what it might be like. So I hope we do this again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. And thank you for doing this. And uh, I just think, and I, I was a sub at a private school 25 years ago for a month, filled in for a teacher who had to go. I was like, I have no clue what I'm doing, <laughs> and I could never do this. And I had a sure small class. Sure well, it doesn't really come with a set of directions. Yeah. You can't get up in the morning. You can have a game plan or a budget, Yeah. but you have to be ready to be flexible and try to meet the needs of the students. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the thing I'm amazed, the impact you all have day to day, but it really is starts at home with the parents. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's the key because, I mean, I think, unfortunately, a lot of times we think, well, I'm going to send them away and the teachers will take care of them. And, you're, you know, you're dealing with a lot of, a lot of things on a daily basis that uh, I think sometimes are underappreciated. And so. one thing that has helped at, in Urbana, we now have a program called Breakfast After the Bell. It's, it's, I'm sure you deal with children who come and they're hungry. And now that we have that program, and I was a little concerned about all my students eating breakfast in my classroom and spilling on the carpet. It has been a really great 10, 15 minutes. All the kids are fed. They have talk time. I get my attendance done. So, Urbana, mm. thank you for breakfast after the bell. Yeah. Great to have you guys on. Thank, thank you have for a, having have us. A, have a great school year. Thank you. And we'll see you around. Well, Go you on. better see me in just a couple weeks because <laughs> we got our last Illini <laughs> Friday. That's right. We're looking forward to that. Um, we'll see you then. Thanks. Go Thank Illini. you. Marion Wyatt, Janet Leroy from Champaign and Urbana, our teaching hour here on Penny for Your Thoughts. And we've just barely scratched the surface, really. Open line time at hour number two on WDWS Champaign Urbana. It's the second hour of A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 WDWS. You can reach out to us on the phone at 217-356-9397. Email talk at WDWS.com or text on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Now, here's Brian Barnhart. Penny for your thoughts, News Talk 1400 DWS, working our way through a Wednesday here in the middle of August, 72 degrees at 1012. We do appreciate so much Marion Wyatt from Champaign Centennial, teaches at the high school level, and uh, Janet Leroy teaches at the elementary uh, school level. With us today, a teacher from Urbana, Leal Elementary, so we appreciate them being with us, and we barely scratched the surface, really. There's so many issues that teachers face, we could probably done three hours on all of that, but uh, maybe we'll do that again sometime and get a couple of uh, teachers in again to talk about uh, the things they face on a daily basis. Because you think about it, you know, between what mid to late August and the end of May, they see your kids more than you do, probably on a regular daily basis. All right, open line time three five six nine three nine seven is how you can join us. Uh, open line time here until eleven. 
Want to remind you, one of our sponsors, and we're thankful they're with us, Swanson Roofing, the roofing dog, Corey Swanson, his wife Melissa. They're local. Corey's a graduate from Rantoul High School and the University of Illinois. They do not subcontract out any work. That's a big part of it. And the other thing is you want your uh, job site cleaned up 100%. You don't want to run over nails and all sorts of uh, different tools laying around. They're going to clean up the site entirely 100%. And they also take responsibility and ownership of every past customer, and that's a cornerstone of their business. Swanson Roofing guarantees their workmanship for the lifetime of your roof. The materials they use are guaranteed for 50 years, and so you know you will not be needing uh, it for a long time. And if you do, they're guaranteed for those 50 years. They provide services, the roofing dog does, in Champaign, Vermilion, Ford, and McLean counties. There's a lot of people out there that do this just invite you to call them first. Free estimate, 217-355-ROOF, 217-355-7663. Or visit Swanson Roofing online at theroofingdog.com. Glad to have them with us on Penny for Your Thoughts. Glad to have you with us, wherever you might be, 356-9397. That's how you can call us. Text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 3515-357, or email us, talk at wdws.com. A grand jury reported uh, release yesterday said more than 300 Catholic priests in Pennsylvania molested more than 1,000 children since the 1940s. And senior church officials, according to the grand jury, including the current Archbishop of Washington, D.C., systematically covered it up. The report further has said the number of abused children could actually be much higher into the thousands since some secret church records were lost and victims were afraid to come forward. The Attorney General of Pennsylvania said at a news conference priests were raping little boys and girls, and the men of God who were responsible for them not only did nothing, they hid it all. More than a 100 of the priests have died. Many others have retired, been dismissed from the priesthood, or put on leave. The statute of limitations has run out in nearly all those cases, but uh, that occurred in Pennsylvania. That was a, a big national story that uh, broke yesterday. The uh, grand jury noted that uh, dioceses have established internal processes and seem to refer complaints to law enforcement more promptly, but says individual leaders of the church have largely escaped public accountability. Got an email in uh, on this, or a text anyway. It says, I don't understand. This is from Dale. I don't understand if all these priests are guilty, why none of them were sent to prison. If they're truly a sexual molester, it seems like the Catholic Church uh, all they did is send them away to some obscure spot, and then you never hear from them again. Why aren't they prosecuted? That is from Dale. And uh, hi, Brian. Just an FYI today on the text line. It says today at noon until 2, J.B. Pritzker and Juliana Stratton, that's his running mate, will be at IBEW Local 601 in Champaign, 3301 Boardwalk, along with Secretary of State Jesse White as well. And uh, tomorrow, the former Vice President Joe Biden will be in Springfield for Democrat Day at the State Fair. We appreciate that uh, notice. It is Governor's Day today over in Springfield. Governor Rauner scheduled to be over there. Erica Harold also running for Attorney General. We talked to her earlier this year. She's also going to be at the uh, State Fair over in Springfield. So what's on your mind here today? You heard from the teachers during the uh, first hour, tomorrow morning at 9, we will have uh, Champaign County State's Attorney Julia Reitz on with us. I think we had her on back in April. 
and again very briefly in June with the uh, slingshot um, shooter along the interstate. That was on for a few minutes, but I haven't had her in the studio since I think back in the spring. So we'll sit down with her tomorrow in the 9 o'clock hour. 356-9397 is the phone number. 1017, we'll take a quick break. Come back with more. Penny for your thoughts here on DWS. Ten twenty-two here at News Talk fourteen hundred, DWS. Boy, the Cardinals won again, didn't they? Wow, seven in a row. Uh, I've been on some baseball teams. Washington Nationals lost that what grand slam in the bottom of the ninth. The Cubs hit them with that, and then the Cardinals beat them in a walk-off home run. I think DeYoung got them late. So they lost two games in a row in the last second, basically, or the last uh, moments of of the ball game with walk-off situations. So they're kind of reeling right now, and the Cardinals have uh, found themselves a little bit. Cubs uh, had their manager thrown out. don't know if you saw the uh, dispute at home plate. Ben Zobris got into it with Phil Cousy, the uh, plate umpire, and basically, and Ben Zobris is one of the nicer guys from what I've been told around in baseball, rarely complains, kind of a leader on the team and so forth, but even he was upset with the strike zone and I guess made a comment about we would prefer the electronic uh, robot umpires to the strike zone that you have for us tonight. (laughs) And that got him tossed. And then Joe Madden got tossed and the Cubs got uh, blanked in that game, but still leading the division, but not by much. The teams are gaining on them a little bit. Here with about a month and a half to go in the baseball season. Really gets interesting from here on out with the races and everything. Let's go to the phones to uh, Tom. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Brian. I watched that Cardinal ball game last night. Yeah. This is my team. I, you've been around baseball for a little while. Tell me why when the batters get up to the, in the batter's box, they take and pound on the plate with the end of the bat. Why they can pound on the plate? Why do they do oh, that? Oh, why do that? Oh, I don't know. It's probably a ritual or routine. You know? <laughs> I was watching those guys last night, and everyone had come up to the up to the plate to, to bat, to get the batter's box, and boom, boom, they hit, they hit the plate with the end of the bat. Yeah, a lot of us did that when we were growing up. You know, you just kind of tap the plate. I don't know if it's a routine to get your mind focused. I know uh, the... <laughs> The biggest thing, the biggest thing I find interesting is the guys that was it uh, David Ortiz that would constantly with the Red Sox would constantly take his arm guard on and off or mess with his gloves. I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. just get in the box and hit, you know. <laughs> but uh, but they all have their routine. And I've got another question for you. Too. Yes. Maybe there's somebody out there that's got a little bit more knowledge than you do. Why is there a pitcher's mound? Well, I think the idea was to, um, wasn't it, to try to give the pitcher a little bit of an advantage? I don't know. I'm asking you. Yeah. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. I don't know what um, Mr. Doubleday was thinking about back then. Yeah, yeah. Because, now was it because of, uh, was it because of Bob Gibson they uh, lowered it? Uh, yeah, yeah, Hmm. yeah. That's a good. Did you you hear that trivia? Did you watch the game last night? I did not, no, uh uh-uh. Okay, there's a little bit of trivia on there for you. Really? 
back in 1922, the Cubs and the Cardinals were playing in St. Louis on a on a doubleheader. And between the games, there was a there was two guys from the Cardinals and Cubs that got traded, and they got over into the Cardinal uh, locker room. And the same with the Cub locker; they didn't have a uniform for them, so they had to wear the other guy's uniform that played <laughs> for the Cubs. Yeah, they they was telling that last night. I thought that was pretty interesting. Really, I've never heard that. Yep. Yep. Wow. Back in nineteen twenty-two, I'm old, but I don't remember that. Yeah. I wasn't around then. <laughs> Maybe Tate does. <laughs> yeah. But uh, hey, oh heck, yeah, he remembers that. Oh, I'm sure um, he would. Yeah, maybe but, uh, maybe not yeah. 1922, but well, he's yeah, okay, I'll give him that. <laughs> but uh, I just thought there's a couple of questions you might be able to find an answer for me or something. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll Google that and see what what it says. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Adam, remind me to Google that. Okay, don't let me forget. All right, three five six nine three nine seven. Let's go to Anna Wall. Good morning, Anna Wall. Good morning, and I hate to bother you, but I'd like to ask you, or someone in the listening audience, do me a favor. I want to know what is the truth about Aretha Franklin, the very distinguished Afro-American singer. Yesterday I heard that she had passed away, and then last night they were talking about Aretha Franklin being sick. Now, I'd like to know what her status is, if you know. Well, let's see here. The last I saw, now maybe I, I haven't checked the wire here recently, but the last I saw was that she was in hospice. And, uh, well, I hope she's still alive. Yeah, apparently she's had some visitors. Stevie Wonder's visitor, Jesse Jackson has visited. Yeah. Um, they just say the singer, well, I, they say the singer is ill, so I don't yeah, well, well, they said she was dead yesterday. Yeah, that's, well. that's why I was wondering what, you know, with the contradictions, what the real status of her is. Okay. Well, I'll, uh, I'll double-check with the newsroom, but I haven't seen any bulletins come across that says she's passed away. So. Okay. Uh, but well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Anna Wall. Okay, bye. 10:28 here at DWS. Got a text in said there should be no statute of limitations when abuse of its children is involved. Talking about the priests in Pennsylvania. And it also says Joe Biden is not coming to the state fair today. Uh, or he's supposed to come tomorrow because tomorrow I think is Democrat Day. It says, I believe Joe Biden cancels his appearance at the fair tomorrow due to illness. Don't know. Haven't heard that. But uh, he was scheduled to be over there, and they sold a lot of tickets for him. I know that. Hi, Eileen. How are you? Oh, fine, thank you. And you? I'm doing well. Good. I'm calling to respond to the call about why the batters tap the plate with their bat. Okay, yeah, you tell me. Okay. Well, some of them do that because it's kind of a sign of good luck or a habit. But um, also... They might do it to orient themselves at the plate. So they just kind of get an idea of where the corners of the plate are. And sometimes they'll tap each side of the plate. Sometimes they'll tap the center. And then they reach out with their bat and make sure they're the right distance from the plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's, that's probably part of it, too. Yeah, they lean over so they know where to put their feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. all. No, I think that's good. Thank you. I appreciate that, Eileen. You're welcome. 
welcome and goodbye. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good thought. I uh, and I was googling here while while she was talking. It says the last time Major League Baseball made a major rule change for the pitchers mound was 1969. In 1904, the height of the mound was limited to no more than 15 inches higher than the level of the baselines, and pitchers were prohibited from soiling a new ball. In reaction to the complete dominance of pitching over hitting in 1968, and I think that was the year Gibson had his, what, 1.12 ERA, something like that, Major League Baseball attempted to recalibrate the balance to favor the hitters by lowering the mound 5 inches to the height of 10 inches above baseline. This was one rule change that was part of the general policy to make the game more exciting for fans by increasing the number of hits and runs scored, which later led to the intrusion of the DH rule in 1976. Before the pitcher's mound was introduced in 1893, Dick had asked about this, before the pitcher's mound was introduced in 1893, there was a four-foot-wide by five-and-a-half-foot-long box on flat ground. The pitcher could put his back foot anywhere along the four-foot back line of the box, which was 55 and a half feet from home plate to start his pitch. In 1893, to create more offense, the box was replaced with a raised mound and a rubber slab 12 inches long and relocated further back to 60 feet, 60 and a half feet from home plate, 60 feet 6 inches. Pitchers were required to be touching with their back foot and the rubber plate was Again, 60 and a half feet from home plate. The extra five feet was significant as it cut down on the angle of the pitches and the league batting average spiked up 35 points in 1893 and another 29 points in 1894. And until 1950, Major League Baseball only required the height of the mound be no more than 15 inches above the baseline but did not address a minimum height. So uh, there's some of the information that was asked about by our previous caller a couple of callers ago. 1031, hope that helps. Michael Kaiser is here with news headlines and then more of our Penny for Your Thoughts show today. Open line up until 11. Our thanks to our teachers in the first hour. Julia Reitz is here tomorrow. Back after the news. Ryan Barnhart, Penny for your thoughts. News Talk 1400. Glad you're with us. Adam Austin, our producer today. Glad you're with us, wherever you might be listening. 3569397. You can email us, talk at wdws.com or text us. Castle Heating and Cooling text line. Had a texter said, I believe Joe Biden canceled his appearance at the Illinois State Fair. So during the news break, I looked it up, and our texter is correct. Joe Biden, under doctor's orders to skip Democrat Day at the Illinois State Fair, according to reports. He was scheduled to be the keynote speaker tomorrow to boost J.B. Pritzker, a Democratic gubernatorial candidate. Everyone who knows Vice President Biden knows he gives our party and our country his all, but unfortunately he's sick and is under doctor orders not to travel. And they say the cancellation is, of course, disappointing, but clear the circumstances are simply unavoidable. So that's right. So Joe Biden was scheduled to be at the State Fair tomorrow, but he will not be over in Springfield. And also a texter in, and in their right, uh, talking about uh, someone pounding on the plate. Sometimes it is guys just kind of doing their routine. But uh, as our caller mentioned, Eileen, and also this texter says it gives them the feel for how far away they are from the outside corner. Yeah, that would uh, that would be part of that as well. 
You can do that. You can text us, 3515357. You can uh, email us, talk at WDWS.com. We talked a little yesterday about McKinley Field in uh, Champaign. Still a possibility, I guess, uh, down the road for Champaign Central football. At least they're, they haven't closed the door on it. The uh, Champaign City Council voting for city staff to come up with some specific language when it comes to whether or not that could or would happen in the future somewhere. And, of course, right now the Central Maroons uh, play at, over at uh, Centennial's Field, uh, Tommy Stewart Field over there at the Centennial location. They both use it, obviously for uh, home football games. But there's been some talk with people around Central said, hey, we're renovating this place. We're buying these buildings. We're moving all this stuff around. We're putting in all kinds of plumbing and, and, and new things to uh, expand the high school there. Let's, uh, let's put our football field over here too. And so uh, the language, I guess, as it's written, uh, and I don't know all the particulars, but just from what I've read and been told is that there's no official language that says they couldn't have varsity football at McKinley Field. Some of the people that uh, represent that area on the council say, yeah, there would be some concerns with, you know, the night games or the lights or the parking or the noise and different things that have changed over the years. But uh, that was discussed last night at Champaign City Council. And also Donnie Abraham leaves the Illini coaching staff uh, for personal reasons to uh, spend more time with his son down in high school in Florida. He was coaching in the uh, secondary and joined the staff last year under coach Lovey Smith. So uh, they will they said they will just uh, have other coaches assume some of the roles he was playing. All right, let's see here. Kent says tape uh, tapping the bay on the plate was also a final check to make sure the bat didn't sound or feel cracked. Probably became a superstitious habit more than a necessity. Says, I used a wooden bat all through high school despite the advent of aluminum bats by the 70s and found a cracked bat that way, probably due to my inability to square up on the ball in a previous at bat <laughs> or most any of my ABs. Most do this in the dugout, of course, in modern times, and the bats are lousier in durability nowadays, too. Yeah, they do break a lot, don't they? A lot of that has to do with the, is it maple bats or the ash? Uh, the way they're made, uh, they just seem to break a lot more uh, frequently today. There was a lot of talk about that in recent years. And part of the reason they extended the netting at a lot of uh, the major league ballparks, as you've noticed, is because not only the balls flying in there, but pieces of jagged wood flying into the uh, stands as well, which can be particularly dangerous. Three five six nine three nine seven is the uh, phone number. I saw Yosemite uh, Park. National Park reopening yesterday after a rare shutdown for 20 days. Don't know if you've been out there before. It's a beautiful park. Uh, the air, though, was still hazy. Park officials advised visitors there would be limited lodging and food services as it ramps up to full operations after the longest closure at one of the nation's busiest national parks in uh, decades, of course, with all the fires out there. Uh, Yosemite's closure came at the height of tourist season, costing the park and nearby communities millions of dollars as tens of thousands of visitors from around the world had to cancel their trips. And Los Angeles, Subway, first to install body scanners. Officials announcing yesterday that Los Angeles' subway system will become the first in the U.S. to install body scanners that can screen passengers for weapons and explosives. 
The portable scanners project waves that do full-body scans of passengers while they walk through stations without slowing them down. They can scan more than 2,000 passengers per hour and detect suspicious items from 30 feet away. And signs will be posted at stations telling passengers they're subject to scanner screening. Riders who choose not to be screened won't be able to go on the subway. That's in uh, Los Angeles. So that's a little bit of news from out there. Hey, if you're looking to do a little electrical work and you say, well, I really don't, there are two things I don't mess with, okay, water and electricity. I just go, somebody help me with this. And we hope you'll do this if you uh, are facing an electrical issue, no matter how big or small, that you would call MX Electric. And they were a winner, by the way. The People's Choice Awards are out. Uh, we talked about that earlier this summer, and a lot of you voted for different businesses and restaurants and media outlets and so forth. One of the winners was MX Electric. And as they say, relax, call Max. MX Electric works on both residential and commercial projects. Free estimate always given before they begin any project. They've had over 15 years of experience, so they've seen just about everything. And uh, their um, goal is to make uh, MX Electric the number one electrician in the area. And these are big items, small items. Maybe you're... Um, have a TV you need installed? You can call him for that. Need uh, some bulb change out, some retrofit for that. Uh, breaker issues in your house? Be careful with those, the breakers. Panel upgrades, inspection correction. They work on remodels as well as new construction. So we ask you to call MX Electric if you have any electric needs. He did some work for my dad. My dad recommends him. So that ought to be good enough for you, right? Take it from my dad. He recommends him. So MX Electric uh, is the uh, place to contact, 359-7293. And uh, when you call, you will talk to Nikita. But just remember, MX Electric for any electrical work you need done. 1044 here at DWS. We'll continue with more open line time up until 11 here on DWS. Back after this. A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart continues on News Talk 1400 WDWS. Well, as you know, I do a lot of reading, a lot of history reading, probably more than my, my daughters always give me a hard time about all the uh, boring books that Dad reads. <laughs> so, But I came across an interesting uh, article. This is a book. Uh, it was a compilation of a series of articles or stories that were in The New Yorker. Uh, first in the 40s, because I was reading about some of the things of World War II, and I was also reading about the 50s. And uh, this little article here, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just wanted to hit the highlights because I just I got a chuckle out of it just to show you how times change. You know, we think the, the time we're living in, nothing's ever going to change beyond what's happening right now. But then you go back like or ahead in time like Marty McFly did in the uh, Back to the Future movies, and you find out, wow, I hadn't even thought about that or... Well, that was silly. What were we thinking of back then? This was July of uh, 1959. It said the telephone people are thinking, just thinking, mind you, of someday replacing dial telephones with push-button telephones and have recently installed on a trial basis several hundred push-button telephones in Connecticut and Illinois. And they went to a guy that was the head of Human Factors Engineering Group of Bell Telephone Laboratories in New Jersey, told you kind of where he was from and so forth. 
And uh, he said he prefaced our discussion of push-button telephones with a glance at the big push-button picture. Ours is a push-button era, but what do most people actually know about push-buttons? He says they look simple enough, but the truth is they bristle with scores of fascinating technological and psychological problems. It doesn't follow, for example, that an easy push-button is the best button. What if a push-button controlling a mechanism of the greatest importance required so little effort that one became careless in its operation? said, we at Bell have been carrying out a study of push-buttons on an unprecedented scale. We feel our researchers fill a crucial gap, not only in the company's knowledge, but in the knowledge of mankind as a whole. He indicated that Bell had first made sure that push-button telephones, this is 1959, by the way, that push-button telephones were technologically superior to dial telephones, then set out to discover whether they were psychologically superior as well. He said, when we make a change, we have to be absolutely confident that it's a good thing. He says, now push-button telephones can get a number of uh, a lot faster than dial telephones. The average person can tap out a number with push buttons in about five seconds, which is a saving of four seconds over the dial system. Not only increases efficiency at the central office, but also increases the user's efficiency. <laughs> First of three categories they talked about was configuration. And this is what they were trying to figure out what to do with the uh, push buttons on the telephone. Should they be arranged like digits on a a comptometer, or like digits on an automobile speedometer, or like digits on a clock face. He said, we polled people at random inviting design suggestions and made up samples of the most popular choices, triangles, half moons, and the like. He said, uh, oddly enough, a lot of crosses turned up, but in practice they worked out very badly. <laughs> Tested various arrangements according to speed accuracy and how the users felt about them. The three samples that scored the highest were an arrangement of push buttons similar to the present dial wheel, an arrangement of two horizontal rows of five buttons each, and an arrangement of three rows of three buttons each with a single button below. So we've decided to use the three rows and a button below arrangement in our field test. And, of course, that's what they wound up doing. And uh, having settled uh, some questions about uh, that, the second category involved what force uh, displacement, he said. How far should the button project from the surface of the phone? How far should it move? How much force should you have to exert to set it in motion? What about snap, which is a click that can be mechanically put into a button to tell the pusher he's pushed far enough for the action to take place? Should it be smooth or jerky? Finally, what kind of bottoming action do you want when you push the button? Would you like a thud at the end, or would you prefer to sink gently into an imaginary ooze? And then how big should a button top be? Should it be rectangular, square, or circular? Should it be flat or concave? Should it be have a glossy or a matte finish? And what color should it be? Went on to say, uh, suffice it to say, the buttons we're using in our field test, and this is 1959, are about half an inch square, and an eighth of an inch apart, are rectangular and flat, have a matte finish, and are white with black letters. And it goes on to say whether push-button phones will be in general use next year or five years from now or never is no concern of this department. So our job is to state the human factor requirements for the best possible push-button. We're pretty sure nobody on earth knows more about them than we do. So anyway, <laughs> that was an article from 1959. You think about it, the way they lay out phones now cellular phones the way they're laid out on the screen i mean all of that coming as a result of 
what they were studying back then. So I uh, just found that interesting. 356-9397-1052 here at DWS. Uh, let's see what else is uh, happening. Oh, I need to do uh, Today in History. I've got that. Today in History, 1947, India and Pakistan became independent after two centuries of British rule. 2005, Israel began its withdrawal from the Gaza Strip after 38 years of occupation. In 1914, this was a big deal, the Panama Canal opened to traffic in 1914. The Wizard of Oz opened at the Grumman's uh, Grumman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood, 1939, The Wizard of Oz. And this was the day uh, 70 years ago that CBS inaugurated the first nightly network newscast. I believe they used to be 15 minutes, then a half hour. And, of course, now we have cable TV on 24 hours a day. 1969, on this day, the Woodstock Music and Art Fair opened on a field in New York. The legendary three-day concert featured 24 bands, drew a crowd of more than 400,000. On this day, 1969, Woodstock. 10.53 here at DWS. Back to the phones to uh, Phyllis. Good morning, Phyllis. Good morning, Brian. Uh, I loved your article that you read just now about phones. I still have um, my rotary wall phone from 1965, and I also have um, the little tiny princess phone that you would sit on an on an end table. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. My my grandsons, when they were younger, just had a ball with. Putting their fingers in the dial and <laughs> dialing around. Yeah, isn't that something? It, it was funny because my father-in-law has a, a phone down in his basement, a landline. And mm-hmm. my daughters were, you know, looking at it like they were just fascinated by it. Oh, I know. You know, it was like... It's like this is from outer space or something. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a question, Brian. Um, I was listening, as always, this morning to the morning show... And uh, when the Urbana mayor was on, she mentioned something about um, Elizabeth Hess not being there on the radio anymore. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Yep. We've May had... I ask what's happened? Because I, I just thoroughly enjoy her. Mm-hmm. Well, we had a, uh, we've had a series of uh, layoffs in different departments. And it uh, turned out that uh, on the radio we had, we had a layoff as well. Mm. That's kind of where I it sure is. I hate that. I, yeah, I'm she gonna, was just a delight. I'm going to miss her because she was a friend of mine, and uh, I I enjoyed being around her every day. But um, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure she always had a fresh um, outlook on things mm-hmm. and um, wasn't afraid to voice her own opinion, which is a great thing to do. <laughs> well, thank you, Phyllis, and thanks for the phone uh, update. So, so, you're so, welcome. So, so your phone, yeah. you're, you're, now you're not calling me on that phone, are you? The, no, sir. No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, I'm using my cordless, but um, I still have it on the wall. It's yeah. nostalgia, you know. I, I don't want to take it down. Well, that's that's great. And my uh, the other thing my daughters have noticed they really like is old typewriters. Oh yes. They, you know they enjoy looking at those. They're just kind of fascinated by it. So. I had one of those. Uh, 
back in, well, I won't say back when, but uh, <laughs> in, in high school. Yep, yep, that's for sure. Well, thank you, Phyllis. Thank you, Brian. Yep, great. Good, luck. Yep. Good job what you're doing. Thank you. I miss Jim, but you are really great. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Great to Goodbye. hear from you. Yep, 1056 here at uh, DWS. Yeah, this uh, it. I love going into the background of story. You can read a history story, but when you go in and read the stories of the lives of the people that were living in that event, it just adds a depth to it that I think is really, really fascinating. So I, I, I read a lot, and I just, I just found the article on the phones pretty interesting. Uh, what people were thinking back in 1959. A couple of birthdays on this day as well. Uh, birthdays today. Ben Affleck is 46. He's been in a lot of movies. Entire family has. Britain's Princess Anne is 68. Stephen Breyer, who was named to the U.S. Supreme Court, has he been there that long? Since 1994, he's 80. If you saw Will and Grace on TV, Deborah Messing is now 50. And uh, Dave Gentry was talking about this with Lone this morning. Actress Pat Priest, the Munsters, Marilyn Munster, turns 82 today. So those are some of the uh, birthdays on this day. We'll take a quick break here, Adam, and come back. I've got a in-case-you-missed-it story I think you'll like after this. A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart continues on News Talk 1400 WDWS. Hey, as retirement approaches, eliminating your house payment can seem obvious, but is paying off your mortgage the right decision? Well, the, the folks at Busey Wealth Management and Busey Home Mortgage say it depends. If you keep the mortgage, your retirement savings remain intact. You get a tax deduction, pay off the mortgage if you have enough money to cover it, if your retirement income is significantly reduced. The Busey experts advise against paying off your mortgage if it requires dipping into 401Ks or reducing retirement contributions. They can help 1-800-67-BUSEY or visit Busey.com to find out more. And one final thing before we go, uh, the um, snooze button on your phone. Don't hit it, they say. They say hitting snooze makes your brain release hormones, which will usually send you into a deep sleep. It ultimately causes sleep inertia or groggy feeling. Don't do it. The news is next at 11 on WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. 